0: to many, intellectuals and politicians busily lay the groundwork for state ownership and control of the means of production. Capitalism in the 20th century has lost many supporters, and the capitalist reliance on private property and on the decentralized market process has been threatened by precisely its opposite, state ownership and control of the means of production. The contrast between a capitalist economy relying on decentralized markets and a socialist economy based on centralized planning can be made most dramatic by asking this question. How would each system affect a young adult just completing his basic schooling and starting out in the job market? Under capitalism, with its myriad of businesses and professions, the young man or woman must choose a career always uncertain about how much training is adequate for that career and how suited he or she is to what will be required in that field two or three years ahead in the future. How anxiety provoking this can be. Under socialism, especially of the orthodox Marxist variety, based on central planning, young adults have their career paths largely set out before them, based on their college grades and the latest socialist theories of career planning. How absolutely boring this can be. Schumpeter doubted whether the shift from the helter-skelter of a bustling capitalist economy to the regimen of a socialist state would be on balance beneficial to working people. Still, he forecasted a definite shift away from capitalism toward socialism. In some ways, Schumpeter reminds us of those dedicated naturalists who, after discussing the nesting and other behavior of a rare species, express fears that this precious species is nearing extinction. To document the decline of a species is certainly not to favor its demise. So it was for Schumpeter when he discussed the future prospects of capitalist society. He predicted it would decline, without endorsing this result. To appreciate both Schumpeter the man and Schumpeter the scientific observer of capitalism and its demise, we need to return to the city of Schumpeter's youth, turn of the century Vienna, and to discuss his early career as a student and young economist. Imagine that we are boarding a tour bus that will take us through the highlights of Schumpeter's scientific work. Unlike many tours, this one will be a tour through time, starting with Schumpeter's early life in end-of-the-century Vienna and ending with a review of the work of several modern-day Schumpeterians. We shall distinguish Schumpeter's economic approach from the approach of several other leading economists of his day. We shall explore Schumpeter's basic ideas about capitalism and processes of technological change and we'll hear the observations of other thinkers who tried to develop Schumpeter's ideas further. From this, we can appreciate the work of modern-day Schumpeterians and how that work emerged out of Schumpeter's basic thought. Let us begin by locating Schumpeter in the crowded landscape of modern European history. The Austrian-Hungarian Empire of mid-19th century was described by the eminent historian Arthur J. May. It is a grotesque collection of odds and ends, Austria proper, the core of the realm, Hungary, Bohemia, parts of Italy and Poland, which by some of the strangest of political whims had fallen into the possession of a certain dynasty, the Habsburg. The Habsburg monarchy ruled over a number of diverse and complex cultural groups, with Vienna at the center of it all. Joseph Schumpeter was born in 1883 in Moravia, 200 miles from Vienna, in a region that was then part of the Habsburg Empire, but that is now part of modern Czechoslovakia. Schumpeter's father was a hard-working textile worker who died when Schumpeter was four years old. His mother was extremely dedicated to her precocious son. She quickly remarried a high-ranking lieutenant general in the Austro-Hungarian Army, this brought the mother and son into the shelter of high viennese society where status and rank counted for much more than anything else the stepfather's societal connections coupled with joseph schumpeter's solid academic abilities made it possible for schumpeter's mother to enroll the young boy in vienna's celebrated Theresianum. the Theresianum was the favorite school of the austrian aristocracy They put their students on a strict diet of study that emphasized languages, Greek and Latin, along with French, English, and Italian. The emphasis on classical studies and the importance of language skills was the hallmark of the Theresianum's educational philosophy. When Schumpeter graduated from the Theresianum at 18 years of age, he had studied subjects that are commonly included in the first two years of a liberal arts curriculum at an ordinary American college. In those days, the German law schools housed what today might be termed economics departments. The study of economics was thought essential to the proper study of law. Interestingly, these ideas about the relationship of law and economics are regaining currency today. Schumpeter entered the law school of the University of Vienna in 1901. In addition to his formal education at the university, there was the informal excitement of the city of Vienna itself. This relatively small city had an extraordinary culture. Yet in other ways, Vienna remained an economically backward area with only a taste of the lifestyle of London or Paris. In Schumpeter's time, the ambivalence of the Habsburg Empire was personified by the city of Vienna and its daily routines. Philosophers Janik and Toulman capture the contrast of Viennese life in their study of Vienna and its culture. Professor Janik wrote...
1: The waltz has always been the symbol of Viennese joie de vivre, yet it too had its other face. One visitor from Germany described Strauss and his waltzes as providing an escape into the demonic. This is but one of many reports in which contemporary observers spoke of the Viennese passion for the dance as pathological and as reflecting their need to escape the harsh realities of daily life in the city of dreams.
0: Philosopher Yannick elaborates on these harsh realities as follows.
1: The delightful cafes lining the streets of Vienna, where one can sit the whole day with a single cup of coffee or glass of wine, reading newspapers and magazines from all over the world, formed an essential part of the Viennese way of life. And they have always struck tourists as the embodiment of a relaxed, carefree existence but as with viennese music and dancing there was another side to this institution throughout the nineteenth century and right up to the present vienna has had a grave housing shortage viennese working-class housing has always been inadequate both in quality and in quantity Its apartments were dreary and impossible to heat adequately, so there has always been a need to escape these dingy and cold living quarters, and it was satisfied by the warmth and cheer of the ubiquitous cafés. Once again, the charm of the cafés was the other face of the hard realities of life as most Viennese knew it, and similar ambiguities characterized many aspects of Viennese life.
0: This was the city that nurtured more of this century's greatest thinkers than any other place in the world. Names like Sigmund Freud, Ludwig Wittgenstein, John von Neumann, Arnold Schoenberg are several from the long roll calls of old Vienna. At the University of Vienna, Schumpeter studied medieval history with the historian Inanna Sternig. This influenced him deeply. And one of Schumpeter's favorite topics that he returns to again and again in his published works is the contrast between feudalism and commercial society. Much later in his life, in Schumpeter's monumental book entitled History of Economic Analysis, he draws on this extensive historical training. For example, Schumpeter developed a concept known as the Two Traditions Thesis. Schumpeter insisted that there are two broad intellectual traditions from which economic writers treat the problem of market value. First, there is a utility tradition, which is at least as old as Aristotle's writings. It emphasizes the mutual wants of trading individuals as the primary factor shaping market value. This utility tradition was kept alive among the Christian churchmen of the thirteenth and subsequent centuries. It received its most complete development among Schumpeter's economics teachers at Vienna, Eugene von Bonweweck and Friedrich von Wieser. The other tradition in value theory is the labor tradition, which had its roots in several medieval texts, such as the writings of St. Thomas Aquinas. The labor tradition seeks to objectively measure market value. The labor content of commodities reflects something important about the actual conditions under which those commodities are produced. The labor theory would receive its fullest and most notorious development in the texts of Karl Marx. In the posthumously published book entitled History of Economic Analysis...